Now, here's our tendency in marriage. And we do this unintentionally. We think we know what is best for the other person. We think we know what's best for our kids. Why? Because it would be great for us. I mean, think about the last time you got upset. Ask yourself why. Why did I get upset? It's probably because someone did not do it the way you would have done it. And that's Genesis 3. It's all about control. And when you think about parenting, we all want what's best for our kids. And we all think they can do better than they're doing now. But unintentionally at times, we destroy the image of God in favor of our image. And we have to be aware of that. So that's the first thing. Two critical issues. Personal. You have to understand yourself, but also understand your child. And the second then, self-awareness, deals with that as well. If you have no self-awareness, you know, the Bible says we are to confess. We're to tell God what he already knows. We don't deceive ourselves. We don't create this image somehow that we think we're far better than we are. I mean, the Bible talks about confession. It talks about humility. But if you do not have self-awareness, you will not have other awareness. One of the things I'm impressed with with the 12-step program in addiction, I think about the wisdom of the 12 steps. It's really about two things. Number one, it's about self-awareness. And two, it's about taking responsibility. Not blaming. Not trying to line up with somebody else's image of who you are. But it's trying to figure out in Christ and in community what your strengths are, what your weaknesses are. And then navigating life in Christ, in his Holy Spirit, that makes you a far better person in community than you could be on your own. We look back at Genesis chapter 3 where Eve usurps the role of Adam. She, she usurps his authority. And we see Adam not taking on his role. He allows Eve to do that. And when God shows up, who does he address first? He addresses Adam. What does he do? He blames the woman. What does the woman do? She blames the snake. And so we see the pattern of not being self-aware and shifting the blame. See, that's what a lack of self-awareness does. We shift the blame. And we start saying, well, only if I had this. And only if I was married to the, And only if I had a child like the child down the road. I mean, parents, one of the worst things you could do to your child is say, you know, why can't you be more like... And you start pointing fingers at another child that you have no idea. You're clueless about what goes on in that home 24-7. But in public, you see a, per a particular image, and you start saying, I wish my child was like that. No, don't ever say that. So, let's look at the text. It says, children obey, because this pleases the Lord. Why does obedience please the Lord? Well, think about it this way. We are all children of God. And we are all called to obey. So one of the critical life lessons that parents give to their children is teaching them how to obey, how to submit to the authority of God. See, Genesis 3, innate in all of us, is what? The spirit of rebellion. We push back against that. I remember attending Lancaster Bible College the first year and they had incredible rules. I don't mean that in a good sense. And the first week, I went to the dean's office, and I, I'll admit I was loaded for bear. 
I wanted to argue the rules about hair length, about the kind of shirts we had to wear, about what we couldn't wear. There was more about what we couldn't do than we could do. And if the dean would have said, well, that's what a good Christian dresses like, and that's what a good Christian does, I had a dissertation waiting on why they were wrong. I sat down, I asked why the rules, and here's what he said. Listen, when you leave this place, no matter what you do or where you go, there will be rules. And our job is to teach you to respect the rules, even the ones you disagree with, because this is part of life. You chose LBC, these are our rules, and we're asking you to obey them. I had to admit, I had to drop my dissertation and leave his office because I couldn't argue with that. And part of the role of a parent is to teach what obedience looks like. Now, just in case you think in our culture this is difficult, in the Roman culture in which Paul was writing, children had to obey dad, not mom, but obey dad for life. They were not free from obedience to dad until dad died. We have a lot more freedom in our culture. We need to use it for God's glory and not for selfish pursuits. Now in Ephesians, he kind of opens up this idea of obedience, talking about honor and respecting that this might go well with you. You might live long. And it goes back to this protection kind of deal. I mean, let's put it this way. You put a three-year-old on the floor, you give them a toy and a bottle of bleach. They go after the bleach every single time. And they will cry when you take the bleach from them. You take a 16-year-old, and I realize if you're 16 or 17 or 18, you think you're absolutely brilliant. You think your parents are out of touch, that they don't get it. But think about the toy and the bleach. At 16, you still go after the bleach at times. And so the teenagers realize that your parents are flawed, just like you, and they're not going to get it right all the time. But here's what Paul's been saying in this text in Colossians. Women, if you don't respect your husbands, and men, if you don't love your wives, you're going to put the kids in a double bind. They will not know how to respect you. They will not know how to love you. And they're going to hear one thing and they're going to see another. And guess which one wins out? Now in this passage, it also says fathers are not to provoke or discourage their children. This is one of the role that's on you, dad. And of course, you got to help your wife not to provoke or discourage your kids as well. And it goes back to this whole rebellion thing. It's unique to humans. I mean, think of it. Can you imagine a little antelope going to his daddy antelopes one day and arguing with him, saying, listen, dad, I want to go play with my friend, the lion over here. You know, I, I know this lion will never eat me because we're friends, we're best buds. I mean, that doesn't happen outside of the human realm. And what we're talking about here in terms of fathers are not to provoke or discourage, we're talking about negative motivation. Point out the flaws. Point out the weaknesses. You know, I grew up in a day when the bosses, and because I had many uncles, there was many bosses, whenever they came out to see our work, they would tell us what we did not do right. 
You see this in some old football and basketball movies where the coach is just drilling and hammering down on their players. Now, I've seen this kind of behavior, especially in two arenas in our culture. The one is sports. Being a referee in basketball, I had a chance to listen to a lot of parents and a lot of coaches on the sidelines saying things that literally just tear apart the souls of their kids. I still remember doing a ninth grade game and, and two dads were coaching the opposing team. So the home team, a dad, the opposing team, a dad. And those two dads got into an argument and we had to call the security because they were starting into a fist fight. And the kids in the court looked at me and said, I'm sorry for my dad. And the other kid said, I'm sorry for my dad. I said, well, when they get out of here, we'll just finish the game and go on from there. But what kind of example was that? That's negative motivation. The other is education. Now, in my day, at least what I thought, a C was good. <laughs> Today, and this kind of mystifies me, a 4.0 is bad because they now have 4.1 and 4.5, and I hear people graduating with 5.0. How can you get better than an A+. Tell me that. And of course, in the area of education, when, when kids are devastated because they don't get the kind of grades their parents think they should, the parents often go after the teachers. In the sports arena, the parents go after the coaches. And I've witnessed parents use their words that literally tear the souls of their children apart. And you see it in their eyes. You see it in their tears. You see it in their clenched jaws. See, the problem is, as parents, we often try to shape our children into something other than they are. And I think there's three common errors that parents make. One is there's way too much freedom. Some parents say, go ahead, ruin your life. I don't care. And some just don't care. They're very selfish. Others run it this way because they want to be their children's besties. That is not your role. Your role is not to be their best friends. Your role is to be their parents. And they will not like that at times. Two, there's some parents that have way too many rules. In fact, if you go in their house, there are volumes about rules. They got rules on how they're going to brush their teeth. And the rules are rigid and unmoving, and they don't change until that child leaves the house. Third, some parents are just playing down overbearing. We use this term today called helicopter parents. You've heard of that? Where they hover over, they watch and do everything for them. I mean, I know some parents that actually write papers for their kids so they get the 4.5. And when they go to university, they still were doing the same thing because they wanted their kids to graduate top of their field just like they did. But these kind of parents have cameras everywhere. And on their first date, they're hiding in the trunk. <laughs> See, the call is for us to encourage. The call is for us to speak life into their lives. You know, Proverbs says life and death are in the power of the tongue. We speak words. We speak actions. We speak trust. But look into your own motivation. There's times our good intentions violate the very thing that we're trying to accomplish. And that's part of the personal and self-awareness I talked about. 
Let me close by talking about boundaries. Not rules, but boundaries. Boundaries are kind of a box that you get to set your rules inside. First of all, boundaries had to be consistent. I played basketball, and I remember the only thing we cared about with a referee was, are they consistent? In the first few minutes, we figured out what they were going to let us do and not do, and we didn't want them to change the rules in the middle of the game. So parents, be consistent. If you have a bad day at work, don't come home, and just because dishes are in the sink, you kind of freak out and do something just doesn't warrant that kind of response. Secondly, has to be age appropriate. It's appropriate to spank a two or three year old. It's not appropriate to spank a 17 year old. You may want to, but it's not a good idea. Third boundary, fairness and just. Punishment should fit the crime. That deals with age, but it also deals with restitution. Let me give an example. I like the idea that our kids, especially when they get older, know the punishment before they commit the crime, if they do commit the crime. I remember having a conversation with all three of my kids, and they might not even remember this, but I said, listen, here's the rule. We're going to teach you to drive. You're going to be driving. If you ever get caught by us or anybody else being drunk behind the wheel or in that car, you lose the license for a year. I realize that'll be tough on us, but so we had the punishment set before they would commit that crime. So fairness and just. You know, it's great sometimes you ask your kids, okay, here's what happened. What do you think your punishment ought to be? Now, you don't ask your two-year-old that, but you could ask your 18-year-old that. Third, it has to be ministered in love, not anger. And if you're really angry, and rightly so, because what happened really makes you angry, take a time out. Settle down before you move ahead. Because I'll guarantee you in the midst of that anger, you're going to probably give a punishment like you're grounded until you're 50 years old that just doesn't suit what happened. Has to be child specific. What is your child like? What's their personality? What's their temperament? Their skills, their talents. Taking the roles of girls and boys, they are different. If you don't believe me, referee basketball. The way boys play basketball and the way girls play basketball, and I'm not talking about skill set. I'm just talking about emotional makeup. They are very different on a basketball court. And if you think boys are dirty, let me tell you, girls hang on to things, and if something happens in the first quarter, they will make sure before that last quarter's finished that payback happens. And finally, they got to be forward-thinking. By this, I mean, when you look at your kids, what's the end game? I mean, the end game is have a transformed heart and mind in Christ. Okay? The end game is while they move away from parental influence, when they leave and cleave, they think clearly, they live clearly in Christ. You want them to be fully formed Christian followers, Christ followers. That's the end game. Be future thinking. Just not about jobs. Just not about what people will say. I know one of the hardest things for parents is, well, what's this going to say about me and my parenting? Write that off because I got to tell you, that is not a good way to approach how you deal with your kids. Now I want to talk just for a second and I'll close. The larger picture of life. I want to talk to you if you're single or empty nesters. 
realize this whole kid thing is about influence. You got cousins, you got kids in your neighborhood, you got grandkids. I was thinking about Methuselah this past week. He would have nine levels of great-grandchildren. I mean, wow, think about the family get-together on those weekends. You got nieces, nephews. The larger part of this picture is really what we call civility. It's how we engage one another. You know, our culture is all about rhetoric and speeches about how important our kids are. But our actions, our philosophies, and our ideologies, and we may have the best intentions as a culture, they crush our children under the weight of confusion and expectations. That's the culture today towards our kids. We cannot imitate that culture as a church. You know, it breaks my heart when I see teenage girls who have eating disorders due to their perceived appearance based on a cultural model. It makes me angry at the needless deaths of millions of children through abortion all in the name of individual rights. I mean, we have three times the amount of aborted children in Pennsylvania than COVID deaths today, this year. It terrifies me how porn is peddled to our kids. It terrifies me how meds today are being pushed as a solution to whatever's going on in our children. I find it sad when kids think they're stupid because they don't get the grades. And you understand that, that our schools are built around a certain way of learning and not everybody learns that way because they don't get the grades that everyone wants them to get. It breaks my heart. So if you're single, if you're an empty nester, you're still engaged in all this. When you realize that over 50% of our families today are single parents. There's a lot of dads and moms needed to come alongside these kids. Now we're going to close with a song. I want you to listen to the words. It's a very powerful song. And listen to the contrast. I mean, here's what the world says. But here's what Christ says. Let's listen to the words. It's called You Say. You Say. 